Hi everyone, welcome to episode 45. This was one episode that I wanted to do for a while, but due to computer problems back in September of 2021, and then both of our lives getting hectic, I'm just now getting back to doing this unbelievable story, which I feel will give so many of you hope of a full recovery. When I interviewed Taryn in episode 22, she talked about the other woman she met in the Benzer groups who was as sick as her. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Austin, who is that person. Like Taryn, she had become so physically ill, her first husband had to stay home to take care of her. Ben's illness can lead to so many tragedies and triumphs. Her marriage ended in divorce. Austin is now happily remarried with five children, four of which she has had since she recovered and has become a registered nurse. Please stay tuned for our post-show talk. Thank you. Hi, Austin. Welcome to this much-awaited-for podcast that we actually tried to do back in September of 2021. We both have had busy lives since then, and you've even gone on to have another baby. So I am so glad that we were finally able to do this. So welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. So before we get started with what happened and how you wound up on Benzos, because you... When we did Aust, um, when we did Taryn's podcast, uh, which was, I believe, episode twenty-two, she talked about the other woman, which you are the other woman who was as sick <laughs> as her, and you both found mm-hmm. each other in the support groups. And I want people to know first, you know, how healthy you are today, and then we're going to get into how sick you were. How healthy are you today? Um, I mean, I work part time as a nurse, twenty hours a week. I have five kids. I had one at the time that I got sick. I have four more since then. Um, I enjoy um, working out, going out to eat, just doing normal everyday activities. I still have some residual symptoms like um, some neuropathy, tinnitus, uh, cardio sensitivity. Like when my heart is racing, it, it can trigger more symptoms. But other than that, like I'm able to do normal things. And do you have those symptoms all the time? Or again, you ha- you're working, you've got five kids, does stress bring it on? Definitely stress brings it on. Um, physical exhaustion brings it on. Um, yeah, just like too much caffeine. I'm sensitive to caffeine still, right. alcohol, stuff like that will, will trigger me more. Right. Okay. So, but basically symptoms only you don't have them all the time they just come when you've overdone when you're stressed i mean five kids alone i'd be having many symptoms myself right uh, and and they're all beautiful and they're little you have five young children so and then you have your older one so let's get into what led you to be put on a benzo because you're years off now mm-hmm. do you remember do you know exactly how many years off you are um i mean i I guess 18 years. Right. Yeah. And the reason we're still doing this 18 years later, because you've gone on, you've had Mm -hmm. a life, is because you were so ill back then. And we've got so many in the groups today that are so sick and think they're never going to recover. And that's why I've been wanting to get you on. And so we're going to let them know just how sick you were. So what led you back then? And if I remember right, because I I have all my notes from back in 2021, I think Mm -hmm. you were still pregnant when you were with your son, who's now 19. Yep. Um, And they put you on a benzo while pregnant. 
Yes. Yeah, so I had gone into the emergency room because I had my first panic attack ever um, when I was pregnant. I actually had a migraine aura, but I didn't know what it was. So because of that, I had a panic attack on top of it. When I went to the ER, they put me on Ativan and they sent me home with a script for Ativan. Um, almost immediately, I started having an opposite effect to the Ativan where instead of like decreasing my anxiety, it was making me have like a constant running anxiety that I had never experienced before. Right. Um, when I called back the ER to let them know this, they told me to take another Ativan. So then it became taken out of van every four hours until you see, you know, the doctor that they had referred me to. But that doctor wasn't available for an appointment for two weeks. So in the meantime, I was taking the out of van around the clock because my anxiety was constant at that point. And at four hours, almost exactly, I would experience another panic attack. And though the Ativan was giving me constant anxiety, it was kind of diminishing the physical symptoms of the panic attack. Mm -hmm. So I would just continue to take it because that's what they had told me there. And being I was 19 at the time, mm -hmm. I honestly didn't even realize medications could have side effects like that, where right. they could cause the opposite of what they were supposed to be fixing. So I just completely 100% trusted the doctors. Right. And you were not a nurse back then, because we're going to get no. into it later on. So, you know, and, and the fact that you're pregnant, nobody's even questioning putting you on Ativan while pregnant. Right. They gave it to me right there in the ER immediately. Yeah. And like I said, they sent me home with a script for it. Right. And I had a note here. And, and again, we, we started to do this so long ago, something about blurred vision. Did you develop blurred vision at that point in the beginning when you were on Ativan? Well, I had, when I first went on it, um, I had that panic attack. The reason I had the panic attack was because I had a migraine aura, okay. which caused my vision to be messed up. So that's okay. what caused me to panic. Okay. My mom apparently has migraine auras. I didn't know that at the time, didn't know what it was. So it gave me like blurry vision and um, zigzag lines in my vision. So that's why I had had that initial panic attack. But instead of letting it pass and figuring out right then it was a migraine aura. They just medicated me with the Ativan and sent me with the script for it. Right. And, you know, I actually got those migraine auras with the zigzags at different points when I was on Ativan. So, um, and now did they give you, you're pregnant, you haven't delivered yet. Did they give you any other medication at the time? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> so once I was taking the Ativan completely around the clock, I ended up seeing the doctor that they referred me to. Now, the doctor that they referred me to, instead of identifying that, you know, from that day I went to the ER forward, something drastically had changed in me and perhaps it had something to do with the Ativan, she encouraged me to continue taking it and added on top of it, um, I believe the first thing they added was Prozac. I had a ton of side effects to that. They took me off of it. They put me on the amitriptyline, different side effects to that. Um, they put me on Haldol. This was all while wow. I was pregnant. Wow. And I, one of the notes I had back when we talked back then was when you were on the Prozac that you got suicidal ideation and you're mm -hmm. this poor little baby, you know? And, and then, so mm -hmm. you're off of that. You, do you remember how long you were on before they just take you off cold Turkey? It was maybe 
a couple weeks. Okay. Each thing was like a few weeks because I had the migraine aura at seven months pregnant mm-hmm. and I ended up going into labor six weeks early. Right. So they put me on and off of a bunch of meds very quickly. I had different adverse reactions to all of them, mm-hmm. but all along I'm still taking the Ativan and still feeling the same way I felt since the first time I took the Ativan. Wow. So you're off the Prozac. Now they've got you on amitriptyline mm-hmm. and, you know, weeks are going by and you're getting ready to deliver. So, um, did you, and then I believe you end up having your son early, six weeks early. Yep. And yeah, it was six weeks early. I went into labor. I mean, I was 19, didn't really know what that felt like. And I'm still feeling really bad from taking the Ativan. Um, So, yep, I, I had him. He was perfectly fine. We, you know, went home from the hospital the next day. Um, So when <laughs> I say to the doctor that maybe it's because at this point, my husband at the time is like, maybe the Ativan is causing this because, you know, you started from that day forward feeling, you know, this horrible and so we said that to the doctor and at that point she said, well, just stop taking it then. Um, so I then cold turkey the Ativan right after having my son. Mm-hmm. So now you cold turkey it. You don't even know what's coming with that. What happens mm-hmm. when you cold turkey? I just was in a state of constant terror, panic, dysphoria, unrealization, derealization, just kind of hell opened up. Mm -hmm. Um, We went to a different doctor who then put me back on Klonopin Mm -hmm. and they said, you know, you just need to come off of it slower. And they put me on that. So I stayed on that for, I don't know, maybe a couple months and then started weaning, but the weaning was still extremely, extremely fast. Yeah. And the, the original doctor that gave it, and one of the notes that I had back then, he wanted to blame you and said you were a drug addict. And that's the original doctor, not the one who gave it back to you. Is that right? Right. With the Ativan. Because right. when they said, well, just stop taking it then, I said, when I tr- try not to take it, I feel even worse. And they would not acknowledge that or it just basically were saying, well, that's me. Stop taking it. Mm-hmm. Stop taking it then. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel, I don't feel right when I don't take it. Like I, I feel horrible, nice. but they weren't acknowledging that. I didn't know about withdrawal. I hadn't like, you know, figured out any support groups, didn't really know what was going on with me at that point. Right. So I did end up cold turkeying off of it. Um, partially because the doctor literally just cut me off and said they wouldn't see me anymore because oh. I wasn't being compliant. Is that, it, 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 just, it just baffles me when, when people are cut off. You know, because you're young, you've got a new baby, you've got, you've got the burning, the tingling, the horrible symptoms, the DPDR. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the notes of when we did it all before. Mm-hmm. These are horrible symptoms you're experiencing and you're trying to take care of a newborn. And you're mm-hmm. basically fired from one doctor and one gives it back to you, but he's weaning you too fast. Right. Um, and so then you start getting more physical symptoms, right? So, yep. And then I, yeah. and your husband at the time, he had to quit his job because you were getting worse and worse. He did. Like, while I was still on the benzos, I had more of like the mental symptoms 
the, you know, like I said, the derealization, depersonalization, panic attacks, you know, increased anxiety, mm-hmm. all of those kind of things, um, depression, things that I never experienced before in my life, by the way. Right. And once I came off of it, it became more physical symptoms. I want to say it took a couple months for it to switch from like more mental to physical, but then it was the physical overstimulation Mm. of literally I couldn't go outside because the sunlight would overstimulate my whole body. Um, At one point I could only eat puree food because I couldn't swallow. Um, I mean, I, I had to eat the exact same foods every meal because I would get overstimulated by changes. If someone sprayed cologne in like the downstairs other corner of my house, I would smell it and have a panic attack. Um, it just was horrendous. I couldn't walk at one point and was in a wheelchair, literally just going from my bed to the bathroom. And that was the only place I was going. Gosh. And so now the baby... Are you, did you, had you guys moved back in with your parents at this point, you and your husband and the baby, or are you still on your own? First, we started out in an apartment and my mom would come and take my son for the weekends and take him out and stuff like that. Um, During the week, my husband would have to take care of Caleb, my son, and me. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, he'd have to bring, you know, my son into the other room because I would have to stay in a completely dark room with the windows blocked out. Yeah. I mean, I I know others do the same thing. I mean, I I had to wear sunglasses even in my house. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's it's horrible. So now your husband at this point, your husband at the time, he has at what point does he have to decide to quit his job that he, you know, you need constant 24/7 care? That was so he was working very um part-time while we were in the apartment and then he ended up quitting, we ended up having to move back in with my mom so that someone could be there 24 mm-hmm. seven um, at where I was, we were at the apartment, but had to move back in with my parents. Okay. Yep. So now you move. So he's quit his job. You yep. move back in with your parents, with the baby mm-hmm. and your mom's there yep. to help you, but your husband is there to help you. You're eating the same foods every day. Now, um, I know at some point you meet Taryn, but I believe at the time your husband, he went online first, right? As he found the support groups? Yeah, I believe so. He was looking around just to get um, information about it and found them. So then that's how we kind of figured out what was actually going on and that it was all that. We also were blessed to have, there was, I don't remember how we even ended up finding this doctor. It must have been before I was bedbound, but he he actually made a house call, um, came to house, did my labs, and believed me that it was from the benzos oh, and backed me up. Boy. So I was through uh, Community Action League, was able to get some CNA hours paid for. Mm-hmm. Just because of him, he was the head of a medical clinic. That's fantastic. I mean, that's something maybe some others that are alone could do. So you had a doctor, because he believes you, he gets you this help to have a a CNA come to the house? 
Right, because he signed off on mm-hmm. it. So that at least I was able to have that. We didn't end up, it It paid for, my friend is actually a CNA. Mm-hmm. So she would come to the house or it would actually pay a family member to stay with you. Wow. So that enabled, once we moved in with my mom, for her to um, spend some time, you know, staying home with me. Okay, that's well, he, that's he important. Yeah, that's great because maybe others can do that. I mean, there's so many that are just so sick out there. And what I like um, is that this doctor knew you needed to be built up nutritionally. I mean, you're basically eating the same foods, basically what, like a baby food or everything you're making yourself and pureeing it. What did you have to do? Yeah, it was, he would make, um, my husband at the time would make a puree that had chicken and vegetables in it the exact same every day. And I would just drink that. Mm. Um, it would take me a long time to drink it because of my difficulty swallowing. But, and let me ask you this. So I, cause I know you and Taryn alike. So now you find Taryn in the group. Mm -hmm. She, you both become highly allergic, right, to a lot of different foods. You know, you'd have horrible reactions. Mm-hmm. So if you went outside the pureed food, what starts happening? Uh, it's hard to even describe besides saying like a complete and total body overstimulation where, I mean, my heart would race. It's, I, I would sweat my like I couldn't think I would just have pain in every cell in my body burning. My heart would be like beating out of my chest, Mm -hmm. blood pressure through the roof. And I had like a um, wrist blood pressure cuff and my blood pressure was like 210 over, you know, 110 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It was just extreme pain in every cell of my body. Every cell would tense up. Um, my swallow would get even worse. So if it was something I ate, then I would become like, and unable to swallow it. But if you ate the foods that he was blending, would you still mm-hmm. have some reaction or you you could just do those few things that he put together? It's like my body became used to them. Mm-hmm. So... Eating was difficult and eating felt overstimulating on my body, just the digestion. Mm -hmm. So I would take the entire morning eating the puree, you know what I mean, until say lunchtime and then I'd have another one and that would last until supper time. So it would be just like taking little spoonfuls of it at a time. So that way it wasn't overstimulating. It was just like any job that my body had to do felt like it overworked it, my nervous system. And how's your sleep during all of this? Are you even able to sleep? It seems like because you're on this constant cycle of trying to just get minimal food in and you're so ill. Um, Yeah. um, I would go through phases of not being able to sleep. And then sometimes I would be able to sleep and I would look forward to sleeping mm -hmm. would be what I would count down till. Okay the whole day. Right. And, you know, while all this is happening, because I know you said at one point you can't even walk. At what point can you, like you're not in the wheelchair anymore, like you can start walking? Is it when you start getting fed a little bit more nutritionally? Because um, I know that's one of the things with you and Tarrant, that you had to almost relax your bodies to try when you start to step outside eating regular food, you know, 
to have a normal food. Yeah. I think I'm trying to remember with Terrence's story. Was it a strawberry the first time you both tried to eat something together? You're on the phone with each other. You know, I don't even remember what it yeah, was. I know. We tried so many things <laughs> together and like looking up different things that like we hoped could help. And it just, it felt hopeless for a mm -hmm. long time. Yeah, I know. And the, I mean, I know she went through so much um, while we were going through it, like with her family and stuff. Right. And I was too. Right. And both of oh. you, you know, marriages dissolve as a result. Mm -hmm. um, you know, your first husband was very good trying to take care of you, um, you know, but um, I think on Terrence it was different, but, mm -hmm. you know, you found each other online. So as much as we mm -hmm. say support groups are great to find Benzo friends. And on the other hand, they could scare people. And if I remember right, people were afraid of you too, because you were both so sick, right? They, and that's why you had, I mean, it was great that you had each other. And, um, right. and that's where I always say Benzo friends come in hand, be, handy because, you know, you both were so ill. It's like people think, well, am I going to get sick like them? You know, and that may right. never happen. But you two had each yep. other and there was, you know, trying to work your way out of it. So. Right. I, Once we started talking, like all the time, I feel like we stopped um, going to the support groups as much for everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because we were able to um, bounce it off and support each other. Right. So how I if I, I know Taryn does functional medicine. She goes that route. You did not. She took supplements. Right. You did not. Right. As you both start stepping out, you know, of the fear of everything. Right. Do you remember um, how that all happened? Um, I did try supplements at one point when I was extremely ill, when I first got off mm -hmm. of the clonopin, mm -hmm. but I feel like I was too sick for that to even right. help at that right. point. Like I needed time for my nerves to heal. Right. Um, I started stepping out. Honestly, a big thing that me and Taryn had in common too was our relationship with uh, Jesus mm -hmm. And just every day praying, reading my Bible, and just relying on him to get me through one day at a time. Um, so one day I was praying, I was, I was reading, and I just felt led to go to the physical church. Some of my symptoms had been improving over time, but it still was a scary thought to go to a public place because I hadn't been in such a long time. Um, there was a period I kind of had almost like a remission in the middle of this where I did start feeling my uh, grandmother had died and I started feeling a little bit better. I went to her funeral and I was leaving the house a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, but then my symptoms kind of worsened again. Like I kind of feel like the adrenaline of the events that happened almost caused the symptoms to go away temporarily. Right. right. So when you had when, symptoms that flared up again, back then, were you able to get out and go to a doctor, get any testing done, even go to a dentist? Because, I mean, I was locked in the house for almost eight years. I get out a little bit to go to some family things where I felt safe and secure and knew I could leave at any time. Um, but I, I didn't go to a doctor. I didn't have, I mean, I, not a dentist, oh. nothing during all that time. Did you get, were you able to get any testing done? 
No, I mean, the only time I did was that one time that that doctor made the house Mm -hmm. call, you know, once I was very, very physically sick, um, I wasn't doing any of those things. Now I did, once I was sick, and my husband at the time was just um, at his end, I had lost a ton of weight from eating the puree, I think I weighed like 78 pounds. Um, He ended up calling 911. I went to the hospital my potassium and like my vitamin D were really low. Um, they ended up committing me for anorexia. And so I went to the mental hospital for anorexia. They put me on something to stimulate my appetite while I was there. Um, Tegretol and it was weird, but I, while I was there, I, I thought for sure I was going to die honestly with all of the stimulation, but I didn't. And I realized that as much pain as I felt, it maxed out at a certain point. Mm -hmm. So it kind of in a weird way helped me because it made me realize that even though I'm in severe pain, it's not going to kill me and I can push through it to a degree. And I think at that point, because I was starting to improve in different ways, I could start to do that. I started um, putting on weight. Um, I felt stronger. And that's when through like prayer and stuff, I felt led to go physically to church. I started um, not needing the wheelchair as much and walking more. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then gradually, you know, just pushing through more and more, my symptoms started abating. I was able to start eating whole foods again. And then eventually um, I got to the point where I was able to work part-time and then I went to nursing school and. So we have a big leap from wheelchair to going out to going to school, to nursing school. Um, I mean, this must've happened over time because you didn't just all of a sudden get better. (laughs) So let's just, so that people understand, like you're doing everything very slowly as you're slowly bringing in food and you're, Mm -hmm. cause like you, I went down to 97 pounds at one point and Mm -hmm. you know, my family's getting scared. I need to go to hospital. I'm like, that's the last place I need to go. So I didn't know about the Tegretol. Do you feel that did you take that for a while? Did it help at all? Or it was just to get you while you're there and then out, you went out of the, you know, mental hospital and you're home and you're off of it. And it's, you know, you're back to your faith and stepping So up. I will say it 100% stimulated my appetite. I was like ravenously hungry mm-hmm. on it. So I was like eating like packets of peanut butter blended into stuff and like a lot of different things. And I was realized that I could get used to other things too, if I consistently ate Mm -hmm. them. So that's like where that started. So I was just adding more calories into my Mm -hmm. food because I realized I had to, or I was going to really have some physical complications from not um, getting enough calories. Yeah, I know. Because my husband would tell me to eat and I'm like, I can't. I mean, it was just, yeah, those weren't great days. Um, did you have reactions to other things aside from food? Like what happened if like water, shampoos, well, we know the smells, right? You could, oh, yeah. so if you, and eventually this all starts to go away and you're not taking mm-hmm. any supplements to heal anything, correct? I know you said you tried no. stuff. So, but, I, and I know Taryn did, um, you did mm-hmm. not. And so what do you think? It's just calming the nervous system down or you push through the pain. What do you think helped? Yeah, I mean, 
I think that supplements that are calming naturally can help. You know, it it is all about finding ways to calm your nervous system down, make your body feel safe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's weird, but like what benzos do to you, they damage like your whole nervous system. You're in constant fight or flight. So every symptom that goes along with a panic attack, you're like living in 24 seven. So that constant overstimulation, impending doom, just hell feeling is a 24 seven thing. The, um, you know, the ball in your throat. So you feel like you can't swallow and you really can't make your muscles work to swallow. It's like your body cannot relax itself because it's not functioning properly. Right. So it it makes it impossible for a while. But I do think your body begins learning how to how to work again. But in some ways, I do feel like, you know, once time had passed, I did have to push myself and almost force my nervous system to begin to function again. So you, I remember um, you saying before, I think you started to see friends again because you had been, you know, not seeing people and it was starting to go out a little more. And then it was, well, maybe I could be a CNA, right? Is that the first job you did just a little bit part-time? Yeah, because so my friend had come over and was a CNA to me essentially when I was really, really sick. And then I thought I want to do that to help other people. And it's kind of crazy because- I still had a lot of symptoms at that mm-hmm. point. Um, I was able to walk and physically function, but I still had a lot of pain and neuropathies and overstimulation stuff going on. But I kind of just stepped out through that and I worked very part time, just like um, in people's houses doing like home care as a companion at first. Mm-hmm. So I would just, you know, sit with them or make them a meal, stuff like that, um, just for a couple hours right. here and there. And I could like pick my right. shifts. So it wasn't anything that was like physical. You had to be there like seven to seven. This was just, right. you know, home care, seeing it. You know, one of the things I want to ask you, did you ever have akathisia, you know, where you have like a constant movement, whether it's something physically or an internal movement? Did you ever have that? Um, I had like muscles twitching that I couldn't stop and like a running, like almost like there was a motor running inside of my Mm -hmm. body, which I still get from time to time. Is that when you're under a lot of stress? Yeah. Or like if I'm not sleeping enough, stuff like that, it it revs it up, but that is something that, um, but no, it was severely bad before. And, and like you were asking me before about the scents and shampoos Mm -hmm. and, Stuff like that. When I was severely, severely bad, it was extremely, I would have to um, give myself a bed bath essentially because I couldn't tolerate like the feeling of the shower water Mm -hmm. hitting me. So I would have to use like face cloths and completely unscented everything. And today, can you be around scents? Does it bother you? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I know. I wear perfume and okay. I mean, so yeah, anything. because we've had others whose marriages dissolved and whatnot. So now mm-hmm. you go back to work a little bit. You, you know, then you want to go to nursing school, but your marriage is dissolving as a result of everything you've been through. Right. right. And it's, I just think it was very hard getting out of the roles that we had to develop to survive. Mm-hmm. 
So he became like a caretaker and he kind of, even coming out of it, felt like he needed to kind of control every aspect of my life to keep me safe because that is what he had to do for so long. So once I started feeling better, it's like we didn't know what to do with each other. Right. Um, And I think, honestly, he developed some anxieties because of it because it was a very traumatic experience for both of us. And, you know, that's something we want people to understand. It takes a toll on the whole family. You know, it. It's not just us going through it. You know, our spouses, our friends, a lot of people lose friends. You know, their marriages Mm -hmm. dissolve. Um, Sometimes when they're older, their kids, you know, you weren't there for me. Their kids don't speak to them anymore. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. tragedy and damage as a result of this, um, which is very upsetting. Um, So now you go through a divorce, but Mm -hmm. you are now happily married with four more children. Mm -hmm. So we want people to see that side, that life does go on that, you know, even though your marriage ended and he was great taking care of you, you did Mm -hmm. meet somebody. So let's hear about that. Cause I, I, you know, for those who've lost, you know, homes, they've lost jobs and friends. We want them to know that you can get better and you can have another, another life. Yeah. Um, so I ended up marrying my high school boyfriend and We have four kids together. Our oldest we had when I was still healing in a lot of ways. And I was a CNA at that time. But in that pregnancy, my first pregnancy after benzos was very difficult. And it did rev up um, symptoms for me 100%. I feel like my body wasn't completely healed at Mm -hmm. that point. My, um, My son is 10 now. Okay. So that was, um, yeah, how long I was sick for. I mean, I wasn't obviously bedbound or anything like that, but I did still have symptoms that got worse um, while I was pregnant. I had severe hypertension and just a lot of neuropathy, um, stuff like that. Okay. My other pregnancies, though, my my kids are younger. They're uh, four, two, and seven mm-hmm. months, and they were great. Oh. And my postpartum was okay, great. Because that was one um, of the questions that I wanted to ask that somebody had asked me to ask you because somebody else, when they got pregnant, felt it's as if every little remaining symptom was gone and she didn't even want to give up breastfeeding because she felt so good. Um, mm. So that's good. So by the time you have the the three mm-hmm. younger ones, you're feeling better. Do you actually feel better being yeah. pregnant? At this point, do the hormones make you feel better or you just feel the same? You feel good? Um, I mean, there are points where I think it does feel better. Like maybe like, yeah, it does in a lot of ways. I think it increases endorphins anyways. So yeah, my last few pregnancies have been, have been really good. good. Okay. Um, and if you had to give any advice to anybody where again, you know, it's so hard to paint the picture of how sick you were. Mm-hmm. And and it's been years. So we want people to know that um, because you have gone on yeah. and look at you've got, you know, five kids now. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give to somebody? Because I just recently put you in touch mm-hmm. with somebody who is so ill and so sick. And, you know, to even know that you got better, like, I think that's helping her. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because, you know, people get to the point when I think when you get too sick on the groups, they don't even want to like deal with you. Right. And and yet this is why these podcasts are so important so that you can still have a life, mm -hmm. but leave this behind. Because you when we talked earlier before we started, it was you've been away from it. And but it's good that we can have you come back and share your story. And so what would you say to somebody who's, you know, very sick, thinking they're never going to get better? Um, I believe 100% that our nervous system is able to heal. I, I'm not sure why it takes longer for some people than others. Um, when I say I was among the sickest, I truly, truly believe that. Me and Taryn were severely, severely sick. I had my windows blocked up. I couldn't tolerate the sunlight, you know, food, smells, walking, just anything you can think mm -hmm. of caused me severe agony, mental and physical. Um, and I healed. If I can heal, I really believe anyone can. Right. It's just, you know, getting through one day at a time. And then I, I'm not sure how you know when that point is, when you're ready to, but you do have to step out at a certain point too and start pushing your body again so it learns how to function to new environments. Because I feel like if I never did that, it would be possible to get stuck in the rut of my nervous system malfunctioning. Do you know I, what I mean? I do, because I had to be pushed because I was one of the ones so agoraphobic and I didn't drive for, I can't even tell you how many years. And mm -hmm. and it, for me, it was baby steps of, in fact, I remember Garrett, who's sitting here doing these, he said to me, mom, you're better than you think you are. You can do this. And one day he needed me to drop him off somewhere. And I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I could drive if somebody was with me, but now I'm going to be dropping you off and I have to drive back alone, you know? And, and mm -hmm. it was, and as soon as we did it that first time, I could keep doing it. Every time when I did something yep. the first time, it got easier. And I remember Dr. Reg Pert yeah. who ran, ran uh, victims of tranquilizers. He said to me, as long as you're in that house, that is what your brain is used to. The more you get out, mm -hmm your brain's going to start, you know, being more familiar with being right. out. And so it was time to start stepping out, you know? 100%. Yeah. And like you, again, I, I was so nutritionally starved mm -hmm. and I was trying to eat. I didn't have the throat, you know, the swallowing thing, but I did have at one point where I felt like my tongue was swelling in my mouth. And I said, Oh, if you take me to a hospital, if you see, I kept saying, can you see it swelling? And it wasn't, it was just the sensation, um, right. but the trauma. So I, I, I think for me, after all these years, the trauma of it all, maybe because I'm still involved, I have to, I can still distance myself from it, but it's there. Mm -hmm. How about you? You're years out. You're not in the groups. Do you feel the trauma of it is still there in the back of your head? Or are you, because you're so busy with kids and working, where are you at with the trauma of it all? Honestly, I feel like it's still very traumatic, but I'm able to deal with mm -hmm. it. But. I really only feel like that's been recently that I'm comfortable enough to talk about it. And I, I honestly feel ready to start talking to people that are going through it mm -hmm. now. And I never felt that way up until this wow. point. Okay. That's good. It took a yeah. long time. See, and I, I'm good talking about it. I'm, I'm good doing everything. And I always say the one last thing I have is driving outside my comfort zone because I think, Oop, mm -hmm. what if that happens again? So that's just me holding that that one last bit up. 
So yep. um, anything else you want to say? And because uh, I am so grateful that we finally got to do this. Um, if you can um, think of anything else, let's get it out there for everybody. <laughs> I'm trying to think just, just that I know that everyone can get better. And, and I a hundred percent agree with what you were saying about, you know, challenging your mind and you know if all you're used to is the house then that's all you're going to be used to really stepping out helped so much and I I do wonder sometimes if I could have gotten better faster had I done that a little bit sooner I I wasn't able to in the beginning uh, my nervous system definitely needed time physically to heal but at a certain point, it was like it got stuck and it was just like a record skipping. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right, right. But I also want people to not be afraid of their symptoms. One thing that helped me to not be afraid of my symptoms was to think of them as just a running panic attack. Every physical symptom that I had, no matter how scary, really was just a symptom of a panic attack, a constant 24 hour mm-hmm. one even the physical stuff, you know, it was just my nervous system misfiring, but I wasn't going to die. Um, also being like young and healthy, even when my blood pressure went really, really high up. Okay. It's the same as me, you know, doing some heavy weightlifting or something like that, you know, just self-talk and giving yourself reality checks. I think helped a lot to get me through. And so you didn't do any additional therapies and you never brought the supplements in. I know you tried them at the beginning um, because I always say to people, you don't have to take supplements to get better because, you know, you did not, right? Even after you tried them in the beginning. So no, I mean, my body just continued to heal on its own. I mean, I do try to live a fairly healthy lifestyle because I do feel it, I think, more than the average person if, you know, my diet is really off or like I said, um, I really can't tolerate alcohol too well or too much caffeine. I do drink coffee, mm-hmm. but um, just stuff like that I'm more sensitive right. to, I feel like. But I mean, I take vitamins. That's about oh, you it. Can I can take do vitamins anything. now. Yeah, like a multivitamin. Okay. All right. And that was not something you did before. It's something you've done later on. Yeah, I didn't, when I was first healing, I really was so sensitive to everything that I was afraid of doing that. I did try juicing for a period of time. And I do feel like that helped me to a degree, definitely just be healthier overall and feel Mm -hmm. better. Even now, my my residual symptoms feel better if I'm eating healthier, you know, getting exercise, sleep. I mean, that's what I always tell people. If we can just look at the diet, um, and again, it's not mandatory because you don't want to put that stress on people because, you know, when they're feeling better, they can do it then. Because look, at you right. were stuck to just that same basic food just to survive until mm-hmm. you started to get better and then you could thrive. Um, so it's not right. mandatory. There isn't just one way to heal, um, you know. Um, all right. Well, I think if there's anything else, I think... We've covered everything. I was trying to just look at my notes that I've been trying to put here after we were in touch, you know, back before. So yeah, I appreciate it. I think this is going to help a lot of people and give them hope. Even for those that have no hope, this should absolutely give them hope. So I want to thank you so much, Austin, for coming on. 
Thank you so much for having me. And honestly, let me know if anyone would like to talk to me about, you know, my experience, if they're going through it right okay. now, because I'd love to. All help. right. Excellent. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank okay. you. Have a you great too. night. Bye. Bye. All right, Garrett, we just finished the interview with Austin, which, as you know, we tried to do back in September 21. We had a few people lined up that we were doing, and we were the ones having the computer problems, but finally got it done with her. And she was quite sick. She was very young, very sick, put on a lot of medication while being pregnant, which is horrific to see somebody. That was years ago. You know, it, it, it to me, as I said to her, I feel like it was almost like malpractice, so much medication when she was pregnant. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, her story to me, you know, was it was scary just because not that I've ever, you know, taken Ativan or any sort of tranquilizer or anything like that, but kind of recently got sick a little bit and was not, I wouldn't say I had similar symptoms to what was happening to her, but I could understand the every little symptom that you're having you know, it gets amplified in your head and then you start to panic and then you can't tell whether you're having anxiety or the, the symptoms really happening. And, um, yeah, so you, I can certainly identify with that, that part of her story. Right. But that going into that ER that day turned her life upside down yeah. to even. It kind of seems like that's a lot of people's story, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a, it's a very quick decision and then it, it's you know, months, years, whatever. Yeah, and to keep telling her taking it, and then, you know, Prozac and amitriptyline and switch her over to Klonopin, and, and, and she's so sick, and, and she's got a new baby, and nobody's even considering that. It's it's actually heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we finally got it done, and I hope her story gives a lot of hope to people because the fact that you think you're never going to recover that you're that sick, that you're reacting to food, you're having these horrible reactions, you're down, what did she say, 70-something pounds? Yeah, like 76, 78 pounds, something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's scary. That's very thin. I mean, I think you at your thinnest. Was 97. Yeah, 97. So, yeah. wow, just, you know, add another 20 pounds. And, and back crazy. then, you were young, and you kept saying, you have to go to a hospital, you know, you, you look like you're so thin. And I'm like, no, they will find nothing wrong with me and want to give me more drugs. And I, I knew not to go to a hospital. Just a very intuitive, intuitive young boy I was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go, go to a hospital. No, you can't. I can't. Um, and it's sad because any and, and the other part was her being basically fired by her doctor. Like he did that to her. And then they fire you as a patient, which I see that happening all the time. Question yeah. a doctor and... I will well, no I'm sure longer prescribe to, them, to you. You start to present as crazy, right? That's what they they think is going on. They're like, "This isn't. I can't help this patient. Right. They're, you know, they need to go see a therapist or something because it, it's certainly not my fault." Oh, or if the minute they even think that it could be their fault, you're gone as a patient. You know, so are you even? So what we see today is if you go in and you question your doctor, I want to taper. You're even questioning a doctor. I can't tell you how many people, you know, that will reach out to me and say, my doctor fired me. I have to find another doctor. And they're, they're, they're desperately, they are good patients. They're not looking for extra drugs. They're just looking to taper and nobody will help them. And, you know, I hope that that will all start to change. Yeah. You know, but um, I just hope that her story will encourage people because I, I know a few people that were waiting to hear her story, you know. And the fact that she's... 
at this point with five kids that she wants to try to help people. I hope people don't take advantage of that because she is you know, working, she's got the kids, and, and yet she's got a hot of goal to want to you know, help. So yeah, it's been a while now since we recorded recorded our last we, podcast, yeah we did the recap yeah we did the recap back in March and we're like okay now that I'm back from Florida we're gonna be whipping them out mm-hmm. and and As then typical with us something happens something happens right and this time it happened to me mm-hmm. <laughs> so I thought since I got back from Florida I kept thinking hmm. Yeah, I just don't have the energy I have. And then I'm like, oh, I actually kind of feel a low depression. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be because I was in Florida in the sun and it's so gloomy in Boston. It was a very dreary winter. I mean, not that I couldn't function, right? I'm like, but something just wasn't right. And you kept telling me I didn't look good. I'm like, what? What's wrong with me? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it comes off the back of your mother passing. And before that, it's almost a year straight of stress Hmm. In, in you know, dealing with the, you know, the whole end of life situation with her. And so I kind of just figured that was, you know, a stress reaction for you. Drained. And maybe it wasn't. You know, that's certainly part of it, well, maybe. But. but then I get, I start having a fever every mm-hmm. night. So I'm, I'm in bed. So I end up putting myself, I go to bed for like a week almost, catching up on some television shows. But I do go to the doctor. And I'm testing myself for COVID like four times. I don't have COVID. I go to the doctor. He's like, well, it's a virus. You know, just treat the symptoms. Okay. You did get, you got sick the same time as my wife got COVID. So I thought maybe she had given you COVID or you had given it to her and that you both had COVID. But I was fine. I didn't yeah. have any symptoms aside from the fever and the weakness. That's what was happening. So now I go back to the doctor, which for me to even do that, I'm like, oh, I know why I went back. I kept saying to touch my neck. It hurt. Not I I said to the doctor, it's not in my throat. To touch my neck hurts. Even at at night when the fever comes, even to swallow hurts in my neck. So he said, well, you don't, he kept saying, well, you don't have a fever. I go, no, it comes every night, almost at eight o'clock, like on the dot. So this time he does blood work. And I get the call the next day. It's my thyroid. And he wants me to go for a CAT scan and for an ultrasound, which I call up to get the appointments. And they're like, okay, so I couldn't get one till I think May. I'm like, May? I'm like, I can't function. So, if, And I was getting to the point I'm losing weight. I mean, I'm dropping weight rapidly and my clothes have fallen off. And I'm like, I can't. If I stand up, my heart, it's like I'm running a marathon all day. It's like getting worse. So they said, just keep calling for cancellations. And I get one for in a week. I get to go in for the CAT scan. And they're like, we'll always ask for cancellations. So when we went that day, I said, hey, you know what? They told me to ask if there's any cancellations for the ultrasound. I said, I do have one. I finally did get a cancellation for the following week. She said, oh, we don't do that here. I said, okay. All right. They told me to ask. I go in for the CAT scan. And when I come out, they said, oh, they want to see you at the desk. And um I said, oh, hi, you wanted to see me? She said, we just had a cancellation. You want to do it now? Like, yeah. So did the ultrasound. That's done. And within, I would say, an hour in the portal, it shows that I have Graves' disease in a setting of hyperthyroidism. And I'm thinking, wow. I have. And now my first thought is medication for the rest of my life. I wanted to go to the grave drug-free. So I'm like trying to mentally get ready for it. Now, my doctor wants me to get an appointment with an endocrinologist. They give me a number. I call. I'm trying to call. 
I can't get an appointment with an endocrinologist till December. I said, did you say December to me? And they said, yeah, December. And I'm like, I literally can't function. If I, I, my heart's racing, I'm weak. I was, I couldn't eat. And they're like, well, we're sorry. And um, so I started calling around. I finally eventually get one for August. But in the meantime, Holly Hardman, the director of As Prescribed, tells me about a product called Thyroid Calming. And mean, this little bottle saves my life. Um, I, but I don't take it right away. As I'm calling around, I call a benzo friend here in Massachusetts who I knew had thyroid issues. And she told me about a doctor here in Massachusetts that she went to, integrative MD that works with thyroid. And her husband took pity on me and I got an appointment in a week. So I went there. And so I basically have to go the functional medicine route yet again. And mine as well. I can't see an endocrinologist till August. So I met with him. He gives me the test. She orders, uh, I mean, a laundry list of blood work. I go get that done. I do my functional medicine test right away, ship them out, and I got to wait a few weeks for them all to come in. So I get the results. I go do that. So then I started to take the thyroid calming. And as soon as I take it, it tastes disgusting. It's horrible. I you know, read online. They're all saying how horrible it tastes. I only do a half a drop of full, and I, I start to feel like a normal person again. My weight comes back on. And, you know, everything comes back and my energy's back, that low depression gone. So now when I think of it, even in Florida, I was developing symptoms. I just didn't know it because thyroid issues run in my family. And I mean, literally, I kept thinking, oh, I'm the only cousin that didn't get it yet. And I thought, oh, it happened to me. And I didn't want how my sister was treated with her thyroid to happen to me where her doctor basically threatened her to take the radiation pill to kill part of her thyroid, and it killed her whole thyroid. And because she went hyper also, and my sister's eyes bugged out, and she gained 40 pounds. And I'm like, oh, here go, here it all goes. And of course, I had the pressure that we had Leanna's baby shower, and I, I couldn't function. And so this thyroid calming brought me back to life. I was able to go to, you know, my niece Jamie's baby shower. Leanna's the following week. I was full of energy. And now we're trying to heal my thyroid naturally. So I'm kind of glad I couldn't get an appointment with an endocrinologist. Yeah. So, and I guess you, I don't know if we've talked about it, you know, on here, but maybe by the next time we record a podcast, you'll be a grandmother. I could very well be one. Yes, uh, very soon. So here we are in May and she's due next month. And at this point, we're waiting to see if she actually might be going early. So, yep, I'll have our first uh, grandchild. And then so, other positive news, you got a new job. I got a new job. Uh, but actually, while I was sick, there were different people that wanted to interview me, and I, I had to cancel all of them because I literally couldn't think my way out of a paper bag. Like, my thinking was gone. Everything was gone. But I did keep one appointment, and that was with Sarah, who runs CoHealMe.com. And they, uh, she asked me, would I come on as a coach, which, you know, I never wanted to do something like that. And I said, well, let me think about it. And then I thought, you know, maybe I will do that because I felt like we could really, um, you know, I could just help somebody. You know, when we first started the podcast, we said on there, my story, the first for my story what I what I would do to start getting ready if I could do it all over again and the do's and don'ts I feel are just so important. So I feel like I've learned so much over the past 25 years that maybe I could do something like that and I was a little nervous because of what had happened to my thyroid. 
um, I was just starting to feel a little better. So, yep. Yeah, and I just did my first um, consultation, my first coaching last night, which I hope went very well. I think it went very well. And it's, I think everything has to be, you know, we're all individuals. We have to look at what's going on in each individual's life. And, um, you know, it has to be geared towards that person. I can't give medical advice. I can tell you what, you know, other people are doing, what I would do. But, um, and I, I want to, more than anything, give my life experience to help somebody. Yeah, and I think the situation that you're in, how do you, it's coheal.com. Coheal.me.com. Coheal.me.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like other people have wanted to do this with you in the past. Right. And, but this kind of seems like, and you have always not wanted to do it you never wanted to be paid for right. your experience or anything like that but this seems like the first situation where you know you are paid fairly for your time and uh you know people get to if they want to speak to you they can if they don't they don't and um yeah, yeah. it's just well one of the other things that they want to do and i like is they have uh, a membership but you can still go on there for free um, we were going to do like every Sunday to kind of talk, you know, where people can come on and talk and, you know, or I talk or I don't know what Sarah would talk and, you know, we could do different subjects each week. But again, you I do like a big zoom call, like a big zoom call. Right. Yeah. And, and again, we all know I'm very bad technologically yeah. wise and they're trying to teach me stuff and I feel bad for them having to deal with me. Um, so yeah. And, but I did tell them Leanne is having the baby and when she has the baby, you know, I mean, I'm probably still, again, around my schedule, you know. I mean, I already went and blocked some time off because I'm going to be busy a couple of days. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll, we're going to try it. And I hope I can be of help to people, yeah. you know. I think what I was trying to get at before, too, it's like I think it's fair because you were you were kind of already doing it anyway. Like, you, not that you were coaching people or anything, but you would, you know, there are days that you'll spend a couple hours here and there just talking to people who have gotten in contact with you so at least now it's like you can kind of schedule your time with people and people can kind of realize they're not the only one who's calling you so if they spend if you spend an hour with somebody like you're not the only person that you may talk to in that day you know right people don't realize that there's 10 other people that would like to spend the hour too there's only just there's only so many hours in the day and you have other things going on and i've always tried to work bigger like we would do a legislation or you know we were very involved with holly um you know when she was filming or just you know i mean i'm busy with the you know when the audits come in for the ashton manual and you know just different things but yeah i never felt like i wanted to take money from people but you know what it's it's something I remember Shirley Trickett, who wrote many books and wrote the first Benzer book. You know, she said people will go and pay for a massage or cigarettes or all this other thing. She said what we do, you know, has a value. And um, I mean, I've paid to talk to other people, you know, um, over the years. But somebody was there for me years ago. And um, so, yeah, I think it's a. I think Coheal Me is going to be a great. Uh, avenue for people um they, they've they really put a lot of thought into it and i i like everything that they stand for all right all right so that's where i'll be if anybody wants to book an appointment um 
And, you know, we're going to, again, I hate to even say that we're going to try to start doing some more podcasts, but I never know from day to day what's going to happen. We never know. Yeah, we, we make promises and then we can't keep them because things just happen. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening and spread the word uh, about the podcast. Let other people know that we're on YouTube uh, also. And um, we appreciate the, the wonderful comments that we get. Thank you very much.